Lord, we do. We thank you and we praise you. We worship your name. You are a great and an awesome God. And Lord, we thank you that your, your blood paid the price for us once and for all. We've been redeemed. We're going to heaven. Lord, we pray as we go to your word, you'd be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. And Lord, we know that the words of men mean nothing. So we want the word of God and we want your Holy Spirit to teach us tonight. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 22, continuing our verse-by-verse study to the Old Testament. Uh, came in a little late tonight. I had that meeting this evening uh, with uh, the board of VHM. If you're not aware of what's happening there, well, if you parked in the back parking lot, you got an idea. But uh, they're doing some things here. They're tearing some buildings down. They're moving things around. Uh, we've shared our heart with them as the church continues to grow, most specifically with the children's ministry that we'd like to uh, bring in some portables. Where we can have a brand new, fresh, clean, nice carpeted things for our children, mainly for the infants on up. And we've shared with them our desire to do that, our willingness to sign a long-term lease. We've also asked uh, going forward for the potential to have Saturday night services, also to have signage out front, um, a lot of other things. And we've left it in their hands. Uh, They turned it over to another committee or whatever that's going to review it. So the good news is God's in control. He's faithful. Whatever God wants is what we want. And so I shared my heart with them. I told them that, you know, I'm blessed that, uh, you know, I went to church in this room when I was in high school. My wife got saved here. We dedicated my daughter to the Lord here, and she's getting married next month. So God's done some great things. And I told them they should be praising God that hundreds of people have gotten saved in this gymnasium. There's not a whole lot of gymnasiums you can say that about. Amen. And I just encourage them that we've been blessed to be here. We want to continue to stay, but we're going to do whatever God tells us to do as far as being able to minister to the kids. So keep that in prayer. So that's where we are. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. It's going to be great no matter what. Amen? All right. 1 Samuel 22. So in tonight's text, we're going to continue to look at the contrast, the ever-growing contrast between Saul, the king of the flesh, the king that, you know, the, the children of Israel cried out for in their flesh. They wanted a king like everybody else. And David, the king that God anointed over Israel. And while both of these men were indeed flawed, if you were here last week, you got to see David be flawed, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But we get a very, very clear visual contrast in how these men respond to threats, to opposition, to times of difficulty. And we're going to see Saul's continued growing rage toward any and all that he perceives not to be on his side. This was a man that for a moment seemed to be serving God, but didn't do it for long. Now, David, briefly, remember, he's a man after God's own heart. That's how God describes him. He was humble, faithful, shepherd boy. He was anointed king of Israel. He was brought to King Saul to play music. And when he would, the distressing spirit that had come upon him would flee. He slayed a giant with a rock and a slingshot. He was then resented by King Saul because people started to sing songs about David. David did well, and when you do well, if people around you don't know God, they're going to be envious, and certainly that's what's happening with David. David ends up marrying one of Saul's daughters. He becomes best friends with one of Saul's sons, and right about that time, Saul can't take it anymore, and he decides he wants David dead. So he throws spears at him a few times and misses him both times. Uh, King Saul wasn't very good with the spear. We've seen him throw it at people three times and miss every time. But David escaped because God was not through with him. 
But David is now on the run. David had to, to leave. The, he's been anointed king. God told him he's going to be the king. David could have tried to fight for the kingdom, but he would not do that. And what we began to see in the last few weeks is that he was forced to leave his family, his people, his homeland, his best friend, his wife, everything that he held dear. And sadly, we saw, we got last week in chapter 21, that David, who so far had been really godly and really faithful, all of a sudden we start to see that things begin to wear on him. And instead of trusting the Lord, he flees to the priest at Nob, in a city called Nob. And when he gets there, instead of asking for godly direction, he lies. And David's first recorded sin, he lies. He says he's on the king's business, which is, just isn't true. He tells Ahimelech that he's hungry and that the guys that are with him, they're off at a distance and I need food for me and for them. And he's given the food, the showbread. And then he's given Goliath's sword and he's kind of stoked to have it. And we talked about the contrast in David who was walking according to the spirit and the David walking according to the flesh. Because the David walking according to the spirit could care less about the sword. He had a slingshot, that was good enough. Now, walking according to the flesh, he thinks the sword's a good thing. Well, after he gets the bread and the sword, he then goes down to Gath. Now, this just cracks me up in a sense. He goes down to the hometown of Goliath. You're David, they're singing songs about you. Everybody was there when you slayed Goliath. They saw 11 foot 750 go timber like a redwood tree. They saw you chop his head off and hold it up, right? And now you're going into the city wearing his sword on your side. And David goes walking in and surprise, surprise, people recognized him. And so when he walked into the city, he basically ran to the world during a time of trial instead of running to the Lord. And this is a mistake we can all make. Going through a tough time, run to the world for answers. Run to the bar. Run to your unsaved friend. Run to a relationship. Run to something that's ungodly to try to find an answer. That's what David did. And when he got there, he realized very quickly that his life was probably in danger. And so what did he do? He acted like a madman. He started scratching at the, at the gate and he started drooling all over himself. Now, this is the king of Israel though yet not ruling as king, but was anointed as king. And very quickly, he's blown his testimony. And we talked about this last week that, you know what? Five minutes of blowing it can blow 40 years of testimony. You can have a godly testimony before the world, and you can just decide to go do something crazy, and you know what? You can blow it. Now, here's the good news. You can take a million steps away from God, it's one step back. Our God is a faithful God, a loving God, and a merciful God. But David had blown it. David had lied. As we're going to see, his lie is going to have heavy consequences in tonight's chapter. And now he's, you know, acted like a madman. This man that was revered by the Philistines as being a man of faith, a man of God, a man who slayed a giant, a man who they sang songs about, a man who led them into battle, and now he's acting like he was insane. And that blows his testimony. And we talked about that last week in a message titled, Fear the Enemy of Faith, Grab the Seed, Either Free. Now, this week... I titled the message, Deepened Faith Through Difficulty. It has been said that our character is shaped and revealed far more in times of trials and difficulty and adversity than in times of victory, ease, and comfort. You want to find out the kind of person somebody is? Put them through a tough time. It's real easy to serve God when you're on the cruise ship to heaven. It's exactly what happened to Job. The Lord was talking about Job, kind of bragging on his son in the faith. And he said, look at my servant Job, how he serves me. 
And Satan said, oh, yeah, well, he serves you because he's got everything. If I take some of his stuff away, he won't serve you. And then the Lord gave permission to Satan to stir him up. And Satan literally took his family, took his possessions, and left him only with a wife he probably didn't want. Right? If you know the story, his wife came by and said, curse God and die. Job, just curse God and die. Thanks a lot. Thanks for leaving her, Lord. If you had to leave someone, why this person, right? So here's, and the point is, he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That's the reason we have the book of Job in the Bible. He's an example of those who can stand for God in the midst of difficulty. I'm going to exhort all of us tonight as we go through the text that the Lord help us to stand for him, not just when things are easy, but no matter what, because remember who's in control, that he is indeed faithful. David had been humble and broken, and now, having gone through this momentary time of rebellion against God, Now he's going to try to get right with the Lord again. And it's in the midst of this greatest time of difficulty and adversity that God is going to prepare him for something greater. So if you're a note taker, I'm sure it's up there, and I think we handed them out tonight because we thought we were going to be outside. But the title of the message is Deepened Faith Through Difficulty. There's three points. Number one, coming to a place of desperation. You know, time of difficulty brings us to the end of ourself, and that's where we need to be. We no longer trust in ourselves, but we're desperate for God. Because desperation produces restoration with others, a desire to minister to those who are hurting, and a willingness to receive godly counsel. Number two, deep in faith through difficulty. How do we do that? By experiencing the depths of sin's consequences. You know what? Sometimes when we sin and we see the consequences, it's the greatest thing that can happen to us. Because we realize, you know what? That's not good. You know, God doesn't tell us not to sin because he's a no-fun, bummer God trying to keep you from fun. He's a loving, heavenly Father who wants to keep you from harm. Amen? And so when he tells you not to do something, he's telling you because he loves you and he knows what's best for you. Yet we try to go out, we think we know better than God, we get involved in sin, and now here come the consequences. Praise God for the consequences because the consequences bring conviction and the conviction gets us right with Almighty God. So praise the Lord for them. If there were no consequences to sin, we continue in it. Thirdly, deepen faith through difficulty by responding to conviction with confession. So the conviction come maybe as a result of the consequences. And now, how do we respond to that? And we're going to see just how David does. So let's begin in verse 1. A deepened faith through difficulty, coming to a place of desperation, finding shelter in the Lord and not from the world. It says in verse 1, David, therefore, departed from there. Where? From Gath. If you look at the last verse, he's drooling on himself. He's making a fool of himself. He's acting like a madman so they won't capture or kill him. And now realizing, you know, going to the world, that didn't work out so well. I need to get out of here. Maybe you've experienced that. You ran to a place trying to find peace, and you got there and found out there was no peace. You ran to the bar, you ran into the arms of a, a person, you, you ran to drugs or whatever it might be and tried to find the answer there and you got there and realized, you know, this isn't working out so well. And that's exactly what's happened to David. He ran down to Gath, he's been hanging out with the world, this didn't work out too good, I need to get out of here and I need to run back to the Lord. I'm so glad that our God is always ready, willing and desiring for us to come home. Amen. He killed the fatted calf. You know the story of the prodigal son? When the prodigal son came home, he didn't chastise him, he hugged him. And maybe you're here tonight and you're not walking with the Lord and you've walked away from the Lord. 
you know what? Get right with him. There's no better place to be. There's no greater place of joy and hope in this life. So he left this, this pagan idolatrous land, this picture of the world where he found no peace in the camp of the enemy. And now he's running, instead of running to the world where he found disaster, where he ended up with a blown testimony, he now is running back to the Lord. Now, I love, again, this picture of repentance that we see. Because the word repent means to turn and go in the other direction. Okay, I went down here away from the Lord. I went my own way. And now I'm turning to go back to where I should have been all along. That's what David's doing. And that's what many of us need to do. Again, his bad actions, unfortunately, had now tainted his testimony. And now it was time for him to get his eyes back on the Lord, to get right with God, so that, again, his testimony might bring glory to his name. It says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now, David left the place of disobedience and rebellion, and where did he go? You know, he didn't have a whole lot of places he could go. He couldn't go back to his house, because if he did, Saul had people waiting there to kill him. He couldn't go back to the palace, Saul would have thrown spears at him, probably missed, but he would have thrown spears at him. He couldn't go to Samuel, he couldn't go to Jonathan, he couldn't go to the house of the Lord, and he'd already tried going to the ungodly, that didn't work, so he goes to a cave. The word adulam means refuge. So he went to a place of refuge. Now guys, here's the good news. Our place of refuge is not a cave. Our refuge is in Christ. And we can run to him, no matter where we are, no matter where we've been, he's a faithful God. Adullam was back near Bethlehem where David was born. It was back within the land of promise. So he left the world and went back into the land of promise. He left the place of temptation and sin and wickedness. And he went back to the refuge. The place where he could find hope and peace and restoration in his relationship with God. To the cave of Adullam. Now it's interesting if you read Psalm 34 which was written as he departed from Gath after pretending to be insane. Don't turn there, but I'll just read it to you. You can look at it later. The title of the the psalm that he wrote, it says right on the top of the psalm, written as he departed from Gath after pretending to be insane. So at this very moment, as he's headed to the cave, you think, what was David, David thinking? What was on his heart? What was on his mind? Well, we know for sure, because it's in the Bible, in Psalm 34. And here's what he says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his holy name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. You know what? He's already gotten right with God. Amen. Amen. He's praising the Lord. He got to the end of himself. He realized you know what? I've missed God. I'm scratching at a gate. I'm drooling on myself. You know what? It was much better hanging out with God than this, right? Sometimes you wake up puking in the gutter thinking, what was I thinking? This isn't so great. This doesn't look like the Budweiser commercial I saw on TV, right? This isn't exactly what I bought in for here. You know what? Oh, the consequences of the Budweiser commercial. Oh, here it is. Okay. And so we see here, and praise God for this, that we see as he's walking toward the refuge, he's already got a heart of praise in his mouth. He's already worshiping the Lord again. He's already praising God for having touched his life and touched his heart. David, the king of Israel, is going to be in a cave, hiding from a king who wants to kill him. But you know what? Good stuff happens in hard places. Let me say that again. Good stuff happens in 
hard places. This place is going to be dark and dreary and not exactly the place that we would all, all choose to be or to live. But it's in those places where God does great things. Joseph, God ministered to him as he sat in prison. Jonah, where did Jonah end up before God got his attention? In the belly of a great fish or a whale. Daniel was in a lion's den. You know what? We want the cushy, comfy life free of any problems or circumstances. And you know what? That's not where we grow. God knows that if we're on the cruise ship to heaven, we won't grow the way we will if we go through adversity. Because in adversity, we can't hold it together ourselves. We need Him. And needing Him is a good place to be. If there's always enough money in the bank and the health is always perfect and the kids are always doing great and there's never any trials, never any struggles, never any desperation, there's rarely, if ever, going to be any growth. And so he's in a cave. We might say, oh, poor David. But you know what? God's preparing David for something great. And he needs to go through some times in the caves and some times running in the wilderness. He's going to be 10 years out in the wilderness, all preparation to make God to make David the man of God he wants him to be. So if you're in a cave tonight, you're in good company. If you're going through a tough time, the Lord is faithful. And in most cases, you're there not because God is mad at you, but because he wants to do a work in you. Now, once he got to the cave, you heard the psalm on the way to the cave? Here's what he said when he got to the cave. This is in Psalm 142. It says, a prayer when he was in the cave. I cried to the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then he knew my path. And the way wherein I walked, have they laid a snare for me. I looked at my right hand. Behold, there was no man who would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for me. Then I cried out to the Lord. And I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. You know what? No matter what was going on, David had a place he could turn. He could turn to the Lord. And he knew, even though he had blown it, God was still faithful. You know, Satan wants to condemn you to think you cannot be forgiven anymore. Oh, this time you've gone too far. That's it. God's checked out. That's it. Game over. I mean, his grace is sufficient, but not for that. You know what I mean? And isn't that what Satan wants to do to all of us? And we need to remember that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. God's grace is sufficient. And you can turn right back to the Lord, even tonight, and get right with Him. Saul was in the palace. He had access to the tabernacle, and he was miserable. David's in a cave, and he's going to have joy. You know why? Because it's not your address that matters. It's not how big your house is. It's not the, you know, the, the size of your, quote, estate. It's where you stand with Jesus that brings joy. Amen. And he had joy because he was now walking with God. One more psalm that I promise I'll stop, but he also wrote this one. He wrote Psalm 57. All these while he was in the cave. And he says this. It says, as the, Psalm 57 describes David as the Lord strengthened him. He says this. Be merciful, O God. Be merciful to me. So it shows David has a humble heart. Then he says, I cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He had a prayerful heart. He says, my soul is among lions. They've prepared nets for my steps. He has a realistic heart that when he goes outside, it's not going to be perfect. And then lastly, he shows a heart trusting in the Lord. He says, I will praise you, O Lord, among my peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Guys, the next time we're in a trial, try reading Psalm 57. Try reading Psalm 142. 
Go open up the Word of God. We need to have that heart no matter what's going on around us because God is still in control and He's still faithful. And He still loves you despite what the enemy might try to tell you. So the Lord brought David back to this place while he was still, again, in the cave. He brought him to this place of rejoicing. Guys, we think if we get out of the cave, then we can rejoice. God wants us to rejoice in the cave, in the trial, in the difficulty. Not wait till we get out the other side. Anybody can do that, right? But it's rejoicing in him while we're still there. Verse 1, second half. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Now this is awesome. David had left the world and returned in desperation to the land of promise. And guess what happened? He was restored to his family. He turned and gave his life back to God, put God, made God the priority again, went back to the land of promise, trusted the Lord. And in the midst of that, God restored him back to his family. Now, we need to remember that his family wasn't doing so great with him. You remember that when Samuel came to anoint the king of Israel, he didn't even call David in. He'd bring your sons in. He brings all of his sons in and leaves David out there. He didn't think enough of him to even bring him in. It's not until Samuel goes, do you have any more? Oh, yeah, I got the one more out there. Let me go get him, right? I mean, that's what he thought of David. Later, David shows up with the fight with Goliath. And what do his brothers say? Oh, you just came out to see what you can see. You just came out here to see a show. Why don't you go back and tend your sheep, shepherd boy? That's a Pastor Dave paraphrase, but that's basically what he said, right? And so every time he came to his fathers or brothers, they were kind of taunting him. They were, you know, they didn't really walk with him. But now in the midst of despair, they're all coming back together. Sometimes God will allow us to go through difficulty to bring us together again. Amen? It's when we're desperate often that we'll see restoration with other people. We put the walls down. We stop being so filled with pride. And we come to that place where we'll finally open ourselves up and reach out to each other in love. They were brought together. As no doubt, I have an idea that David's family was probably being chased by Saul. What do you think? I have no verses for that. Do you think being related to David would be a good thing right about now? King Saul's got one thing on his mind, as we're going to see. Kill David. I think he's eating breakfast. Kill David, kill David, kill David. I think that's what he's doing. His whole life is all about kill David. And so, you know what? And, oh, you know David. I'm going to kill you. You're near David. Oh, your name's David. I'm going to kill you. I mean, that's kind of where he's at. He just can't stand David. He, can't, he hates him. And so he's at that point, And no doubt, being family members, they probably ran because they were afraid of Saul. But God used the trial to bring this family back together. And praise God that in the midst of trials, God will bring us back together. So they left Bethlehem, they came to Adullam, and they were reunited with their brother and son. So not only did his family come to him, but look what else hap- came, who else came to him. Look at verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. Now is this the army you would want? Can you imagine putting an ad in the paper? I'm starting a new business. Here's what I want. Anybody who's just, amount, just totally discontented with life, if you're completely distressed over the things of this world, and you're in debt up to your eyeballs, and all your creditors are chasing you, yeah, come work for me. Right? Can you imagine? This is the army David gets dealt. Here's your army, David. A bunch of distressed, debted, indebted, right? People that can't handle their finances, 
They're, they're worn out. They're overwhelmed. The word distress means in anguish. They were in dire circumstances. They were oppressed by men, and they were overwhelmed with the problems that they had in life. They didn't know what to do with themselves. They were at the end of themselves. Men in debt, unable to pay their debts. Their creditors pressing in on them. Men who were discontented. The word discontented there is mara. We get the word bitter. It means bitter. That's, you know, I don't want bitter. Do you want bitter employees? You want bitter coworkers, bitter neighbor, you know, bitter. It's not something you write on your, you know, in your yearbook, right? Well, let me describe myself. I'm bitter. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I'm totally distressed with life, right? They'd have the suicide hotline over your house. I mean, you don't want that. So here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. There is a mess going on here in these hearts of these men. But you know what I love? Who do they run to? They run to a man who they think can relate to them. They run to a man who's been chased, who's had his life threatened, who seemingly has no place safe to go, but they also recognize that God's hand is upon him. And they think, where in the world can we go? Who in the world can we turn to? And they run to David. They run to David. Now what I love about these guys is that though they could find no satisfaction in what the world had to offer, they all turned to David as being one they could relate to. And what I love about this picture here is it's a picture of us. Oh, I didn't come for that. It's a picture of us. Because, guys, every one of us was in distress. Our life was a mess. We were all in debt to sin, a debt that we could not pay, that we could not overcome. We were discontented with this world. There was no answer. There was no hope. And you know what? Is they came to David, we came to the son of David, Jesus Christ. And he paid the price, the debt we couldn't pay. And he took us in our discontentment and he brought us into joy. He took away the anguish, he took away the bitterness, and he gave us hope and he gave us life. They came to the son of David, to David and we come to the son of David. And so they come now to relate to one they feel knows how to minister to them. Now, what I love about this, too, is that we see these men. Look what it says. And he became captain over them. That word captain doesn't mean that, uh, you know, they were a mob, but really that they followed him with a, with a heart of faithfulness and obedience. They were drawn to him by the Spirit. They came humbly and broken. And then God used the, David to minister to these men's hearts. You know what? Sometimes we look at brokenness, we think it's a bad thing, but the Word of God says this. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus also said, If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. For what is it profited a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost, not those who were perfect. And I'm so glad that we are that same ragtag group. But you know what's great? Look what it says. It says, and there were about 400 men with him. So there's 400 distressed, indebted, bitter guys. But you know what David does with them? He ministers to them, and before we're done, they become David's mighty men. 
They become well-known as the mighty men of David, mighty warriors, mighty men of God, mighty men of great faith. And they were trained up by David. Now, what kind of man was David? Remember, David was a warrior. He was a leader. He was a man of great faith, a man of worship, a man after God's own heart. And as they hung out with David, they became like him. You become like who you hang out with. And you know what? For you and I, when we spend time with the Lord, we become more like the Lord. If you're discontented, hang out with the Lord, you won't be. If you're bitter, hang out with the Lord, you won't be. If you're indebted, ask Him to forgive you and He'll pay the price for you. Amen? And so as we hang out with the Lord, as we seek His face, how do we spend time with God? Spend time in prayer. Spend time in the Word. Use the gifts God's given you to serve others. And slowly but surely, you will indeed become like the Lord. Let me ask you a question about your relationship with Jesus. Is He the passion of your life? Do you think about Him 24-7? Is He always on your mind? Does every word that comes out of your mouth run through the, the filter of the Holy Spirit? Are you convicted? Do you walk with Him? Do you love Him? You know, as I used to say to the youth group, are you married to Him? Because we're the bride of Christ, amen? Are you married to Jesus? Are you in love with Him? Or is He somebody who contains a small part of your life? I give Him the get-out-of-hell-free card part. I just want that to hang on to. But I don't want to be too serious about my relationship with the Lord. Guys, we can never be serious enough. Ever. May they call us all Jesus freaks and may we enjoy it. Amen? Amen? Now, these guys were not mighty men yet. Right now, they're a bunch of ragtag renegades, but they're going to become mighty men by hanging out with a mighty man. You want to find out the kind of person you're going to be? Look at the people you hang out with. Amen? Amen. I used to tell youth group kids that all the time. You hang out with all the potheads, you're a pothead. Well, no, yes, you are. Because if you weren't, you wouldn't hang out with them. Amen? And if you're on fire for God, you're going to hang out with people who love God. And if you're hanging out with people who are on fire for God, guess what? You're going to be. You will be. Now, again, it's the Lord who brings it, but He calls us into fellowship. As we do, again, we're going to have a heart also to minister to the hurting. You know what happened? David had been at that place where he's at the end of himself. And now when he saw those 400 guys coming, he had a whole different way of looking at them as if he had never been uh, through a difficult time. You know, if he had never been scratching at the gate and drooling on himself, which was wrong... He never would have understood. If he had never been chased, if he had never had spears thrown at him, if he had just always sat on the throne and everything had always been wonderful, he would have had a hard time relating to those guys. And we're going to have a hard time relating to people if we never have a trial in our lives. And so when we go through difficulty, God's preparing us to be able to minister to others. Verse 3. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know that God will, be, be, will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now, the word mispah means watchtower. So David takes his family to a safe place. Now you're saying, Moab? Wait a minute. How's that different than when he went down to Gath, to the land of the Philistines? The Moabites were relatives of Lot and his incestuous relationship with his daughter, and they were outside of the land of promise. So how in the world is this okay? We well, have to remember, David's great-grandmother was Ruth, and she was from Moab. She was a Moabite. He's literally taking his family to some of his relatives and telling them, will you watch over my family until I see what the Lord has in mind for me? 
as I'm ministering to these guys, as I'm raising up these 400 mighty men, and so he's caring for his family. The Bible says a man who does not provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. Let me say that again. A man who does not provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. Oh man, that's heavy, isn't it? Guess what? It says all the way back in in, uh, Genesis 3 that a man will toil by the sweat of his brow all the days of his life. And we should not be complaining about that. We should count it a privilege. Amen? Because it's God's way of providing for our family. So Moab was the place where David's great-grandmother lived and he brought them there. Now, he says he's going to be in the stronghold. Just by a side note, the word for stronghold there is Masuda, where we get the word Masada. And if any of you have ever been to Israel before, or if you've seen the movie, that's where in about 140 AD, BC, excuse me, they went up on the mountain and they were protecting themselves from the uh, Roman soldiers. I don't remember that story. And it was called Masada, which basically means stronghold, this great mountain for- fortress above the Dead Sea. So the Lord, for us, is our strong tower. Guys, we don't need a mountain. We got the Savior. Amen? It says in Proverbs, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are safe. Guys, we don't need to build a fortress around our house. We just need to turn our lives over to Jesus Christ. You know, it was amazing to me how a lot of Christians of Y2K were, you know, people were moving to different states and mounting up weapons and food. And I'm like... What is that? So if somebody's hungry comes to your house, you're going to shoot them? Is that what you're going to do in Jesus' name? I mean, I don't get it. You know what? People are like, well, Pastor Dave, we should be prepared. You know what? You're right. You know how you get prepared? Walk with Jesus. Be on fire for Him. Be seeking His kingdom first. And you know what? I can handle anything if the Lord's on my side. Amen? You plus God is the majority. That's where you want to be. And that He is our strong tower. So He brought them in to Moab. He left His family there. Verse 5. Now the prophet of Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. Now, notice that when you come to a place of desperation, you are now willing to receive godly counsel. When David went to the priest and he got the bread, he didn't ask for any godly counsel, did he? He didn't ask for direction. He didn't ask for prayer. He didn't ask for anything. But now, coming to a place of desperation, he's willing to listen. And sometimes, you know, we pray for people to be saved. And, I'm, and I have absolutely prayed this prayer many times. Lord, do whatever it takes to bring them to the end of themselves where they'll be ready to hear from you. Now, sometimes that's a hard prayer to pray about people we love, right? You don't want to pray that you're like, then the person will come back three weeks later after we prayed that prayer and they'll say, well, my brother-in-law or my cousin or whomever was in a really bad car accident and they're in the hospital. And I'm like, well, that's an answer to prayer. What? Well, didn't we pray God do whatever it takes to get his attention? Amen? You think his attention's been grabbed right about now? Do you have a captive audience? Go share Jesus with him. Amen? Sometimes we've got to come to the end of ourselves before we will look up. And when we get desperate, we're willing to receive godly counsel. And David now, Gad comes to him and says to him, don't stay in the stronghold, depart. Now, that's easier said than done because the stronghold was, was a safe place for David to stay. Wouldn't it have been easy for David to say, you know what, I'm just going to hang out here until Saul dies. That's kind of a good program for me. I got 400 guys here with me. I'll just train them. I'll send them out to get me some food. I'm just going to stay here. And when Saul's dead, I'll just go be king. That wasn't God's plan, though. 
And sometimes we want to stay out of the way and keep from getting into any of the trials of life. But God has something greater. Here's what it says. It says, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. For bonus points, what does Judah mean? Who remembers? It means praise. Amen. He said, go from the place where you've got walls up around you, where you're pulling away, and get back to the place of praising God. You know what? When we're going through a tough time, we need to get back to a place where we're praising God. Amen? We need to get back from hiding from God and pulling away from everything and instead get back out into a place where we're worshiping the Lord with our whole hearts, to a life of worship and desperation and seeking his face. Now, Gad, as we're going to see as we continue through the Samuels, is going to be a main prophet that speaks to David from this point forward. And David has got a guy now who he will heed his counsel. But David had to go through a tough time before he would be ready to receive this. He had received it from Samuel before, but now he'd kind of been running on his own. And God brought him to the end of himself that he might be ready to receive the word from the Lord. He wasn't going to wait until Saul died. He was to step out and be used. Now look what it says. Last part of verse 5. So David departed. The prophet said, depart. And then it says, so David departed. It's one thing to read the word of God, and it's another thing to obey it. It's another thing to get instruction from the Lord, and it's another thing to step out in faith and do it. And too often what we do is we, we do the Ben Franklin clothes. Well, here's the positives, here's the negatives. Guys, God said so, that's it. Amen? Amen. If God says go, go. I've told this story, it's been years since I told it, but Pastor Don McClure, who was my pastor in San Jose, was at a church in Redlands that was huge and thriving and God was doing a great work. But he felt like God was stirring him up, so he went to meet Pastor Chuck and pray, and Pastor Chuck said, I know where you're supposed to go. There's a church in San Jose that's $11 million in debt, that has 80 people, and they're all out of control. Why don't you go there? Oh, I don't think so, right? So he's driving home, and he's doing the Ben Franklin clothes. Oh, my kids love it here. The church is thriving. We got a high school. We got a Bible college. It's going great. That place, if there's a disaster, I don't think so, right? And he said by the time he got home, though, there was one thing he'd written on the positive side. God said so. And that trumps out everything else. And so he left the thriving church and he went to Calvary Chapel in San Jose and he took over a church that was $11 million in debt and he didn't get paid a salary for three years. And by the grace of God, that church turned around and became like the one in Redlands and even bigger. Why? Because he obeyed God. Amen? And there's a time when we need to hear the word, but then we need to step out in obedience and do what God told us to do. To obey is better than sacrifice. Amen? To heed in the fat of rams. He wants us to step out. And it says, he departed and went into the forest of Hareth. It's in Judah, not far from Jerusalem. So he's back in the land of promise. He's outside of that, that shelter, that cave. And he's back out where God is going to do great things through him. So depart, deep in faith through difficulty. Point number one, by coming to a place of desperation. Finding shelter in the Lord, not in the world. And when we see People desperate, it produces restoration with others like it did with his family. A desire to minister to the hurting as we see him doing now with these 400 ragtag men that will be the 400 mighty men. And then a willingness to receive godly counsel. Second point, and this is going to be a hard one for David. Experiencing the depths of sin's consequences. Now, when we sin, there are indeed consequences. And we're going to see the impact of ungodly actions 
by us what it has on others. And then we're going to see the depths of depravity when someone walks in the flesh. Look at verse 6. When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. Now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with the spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. So David had been discovered. You know what? Saul's got the word out. If you see David, tell me. David's traveling with 400 guys. He's got a pipeline of people, no doubt running to Saul, wanting to be the one to tell them that they saw where David was. David had been discovered, but you know what? God is in control. And even when we're, we think we've been found out, or oh no, what are we going to do now? God is going to use it for His glory if we will but let Him. So the word comes, and where is Saul when the word comes? He's sitting under a tree with a spear in his hand. This is the king. He's sitting under a tree with a spear in his hand. And again, I hope he's practicing, because so far, not so good with it, right? He just keeps missing. He hasn't hit anybody yet. But he's sitting there with a spear in his hand, and he's waiting, no doubt chomping at the bit for one more shot at David. Why is he angry with David, by the way? What has David ever done to him? Nothing. You know what David did to him? David fought the enemies that he was unwilling to fight. He slayed Goliath when he wouldn't slay Goliath. He married his daughter and was a godly son-in-law. All he's done so far is honor the Lord in Saul's presence, but Saul's jealous because he knows that David is God's man. And he doesn't like that because he knows that his time is truly short. So Saul's obsession is at its peak He seems to have laid aside everything else in the world but David. He's got the spear in his hand. He's ready to defend himself and take revenge on his enemies. You know, Muhammad was called the prophet of the sword. You know why? All the first Muslims became Muslims because they went up to him with a sword. They stuck it to their throat. And they said, confess that Allah is God and Muhammad is prophet or we will kill you. And they had a whole lot of people convert. It's just amazing how that works. You go up with a sword and you threaten somebody's life if they don't become a Muslim. You know what? He was the prophet of the sword and Saul has become the king of the spear. He's now the guy holding the spear in his hand with a one-track mind. His thoughts are not of God at all. His thoughts are only vengeance against a man who has done him no wrong and done him no harm. Saul's compromises have grown to the point of becoming one of the vilest men on the planet. The same man who once had honored God, had walked in humility, had prophesied in his name. He now sits under a tree with only one desire in his heart to kill somebody. And this is the same spear again he had thrown at David and Jonathan, two of the most godly men who ever walked the earth. Verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there's no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there's not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Saul accuses his own people of being unwise. You know, do you think David's going to give you stuff? First of all, he calls them Benjamites. Why? Because he is a Benjamite. And David is from Judah. And he's saying, well, David's from Judah. I'm from Benjamin. If you think you're going to get stuff, you better stick with a fellow Benjamite. And so he's trying to get his people, these people with him, to continue to follow him. But first, he tells them, if you follow David, that would be foolish. Second of all, he says, if you do, you're really traitors. Because how come you didn't tell me 
about my own son conspiring with Jonathan. And then he plays the ain't it awful game. And none of you care about me. You know, he says, I, me, I, you don't care, me, me. How many of you told me, me, right? By the way, by the, way the letter I is the middle letter in both sin and pride. Amen? And so he's a man filled with sin and a man filled with pride. And his thoughts are not of God. They're only of himself. And all he's worried about is you guys don't think about me enough. Do you really think that if you go to him, it's going to be better? Why don't you stick with me? Saul's a fleshly king and he appeals to the fleshly motives and desires of people. You know what, guys? The world is always going to act like they can offer you more than God can. But let me tell you right now, no way. There's nothing. What the world has will give you temporary peace, but in time it will fade. But one of Saul's greatest problems is that he focuses only on himself. You never hear him talking about God anymore. And you know what, guys? Just check your own language. Listen to how much you talk about yourself and how much you talk about the Lord. And that'll give you a good idea where your heart is. Amen? It's always about me, my, I, what I'm going through, and never talking about the Lord or rarely talking about the Lord. You got the same problem Saul's got. And you need to take the, you know, the beam out of your eye. You need to take the eye out of your vocabulary and replace it with the Lord instead. You know what? The Bible says that we ought to be more concerned about others than ourselves. Quit playing poor me and start playing great God. Amen? Don't talk about how poor you are and how unfortunate you are. Let me ask you a question. Are you a child of the King? Are you going to heaven? Are you a new creation in Christ? Have you been born again? There's no poor you in the building. Amen? We're, new, we, we're His kids. My best friend created the universe. I'm going to spend eternity in the presence of Almighty God. What in the world do I have to moan and complain about? Amen? We need to get our eyes back on the Lord. Saul blamed others for his own unhappiness and insecurity, but the truth is that it all stemmed from a broken relationship with God. Why is Saul a mess? He walked away from God. Is it David's fault? No. The people's fault? No. The Philistines' fault? No. Whose fault is it? Saul's. And if you're miserable tonight, you don't have to be. You choose to be because you've walked away. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. Amen? So if you have love and joy and peace and kindness, that comes from the Lord. If you don't have it, it's because your eyes are not focused on God. The ultimate futility is trying to hold on to something that God has told us He doesn't want us to have. Saul is trying to hold on to being king when God already told him, Saul, you're not the king anymore. So it says there in verse 9, then answered, so he says, how come nobody, none, none of you told me about my son, none of you told me where David is. How come none of you guys are on my side? You know, I'm the one that gives you everything. I'm the one that can give you position and title and land and possessions. How come you're not helping me? Well, he found somebody who took him up on it. Verse 9. Then answered Doag the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul and said, Now remember back in the previous chapter, when David went into Ahimelech to talk to him, somebody was there. Who was it? Doag the Edomite, and your sin will surely find you out, won't it? And Doag was there standing off to the side, and he saw David come in, and he saw David ask for food, and he saw David get the sword of Goliath and leave, and Doag thought, ooh, I'm going to remember that. And then now Saul's saying, how come nobody tells me about David? Nobody tells me where he is. You know, if you guys really cared, and if you want me to bless you, and Doag, who's not a, a godly man, speaks up and says, 
I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he acquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So Doag is seeking to elevate himself in Saul's eyes. He's got one motivation. He wants Saul to think great things about him. You know, it's interesting. David wrote a psalm about Doeg. He did. And he says, A psalm of David when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said unto him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. And he says this in the middle of the psalm, Your tongue devises mischief like a sharp razor, wrongfully deceit, wrong, uh, working deceitfully, excuse me, Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than speaking righteousness. You know what? God saw Doag's heart. David even knew Doag's heart. Doag came in, and he was looking for one thing, to promote himself. But sadly, it's David's lies that are ammunition for Doag. You know, there's very few things on this planet worse than being rebuked by an unbeliever, and they're right. Is that an ouch or what? You say something you know you shouldn't have said, and somebody's not saying, goes, dude, I thought you were a Christian. Oh, right? Is that like the worst ouch there is? Dude, I thought you were saved. I thought you were a Christian. Oh, right? You just, you just want to crawl in a hole and die, right? And this is what's happening. David is busted. David did go. David did lie. David did do these things. And David did give fuel to Doag to be able to go and tell Saul what had happened. And now Saul's going to use this, and you know what? The consequences are going to be heavy because of David's sin. One thing he does say that it's a lie. He says he inquired of the Lord for him. Did he do that? No, because David didn't even ask for it. He didn't say, could you inquire of the Lord for me where I should go? He just said, give me bread, give me sword, I'm leaving. That's what happened, all right? Verse 11. So the king said to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all of, all of his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. He answered, Here I am, my lord. Now, Saul, this fleshly king, brings the priests in, but notice he's not going to inquire of God at all. All he's going to do is bring accusation. You can tell where someone's heart is when they talk to those who love the Lord. Are they bringing accusation? Or are they seeking direction? Do we come to the Lord accusing him in our prayer life? You know, Lord, you don't know what you're doing. You messed up over here. Now, Lord, are you paying attention? I've heard people pray like that. I just, you go ahead. You know what I mean? If the lightning hits, I want to be at least two steps away. No, but here's the point. We come before God with humility. We don't make demands of God. I hear people doing that. Well, Lord, here's what you need to do. I, uh, I don't think you need your help. Amen? Man's help is what got us into this mess to begin with, right? Garden of Eden was perfect when God made it. Then man got involved and look what happened, Right? So we need to come desperate and humble before God, not giving him directions. And here we have Saul, the fleshly king, bringing the priests in. And all he's going to do is accuse them. Look at verse 13. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of the Lord for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day? How did he conspire against Saul? By inquiring of the Lord and giving food and a sword to his son-in-law, the, guy that is, the man who's been used most mightily by God in all of Israel. And he's saying, by going to the Lord for him, you've conspired against me. Saul's focus is in the wrong 
place. He knew the Lord had already removed his anointing and his kingdom would soon follow, and so now he's bitter. Verse 14. Now watch Ahimelech. I love this guy. This is the last act he's going to have in his life. But you know what? I'm glad it's recorded for us, and I'm sure that he's glad he did it. Look what he does. So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David? Now, Saul's probably loving that, right? Who, in the, who is the king's son-in-law who goes after your bidding and is honorable in all your house? Who's, who's better than David? Who's more godly than David? He's your son-in-law. Didn't you give your daughter to marry him? Didn't he slay Goliath? Wasn't he the guy that when you sent him out to take the, 200, the 100 foreskins of the Philistines, he brought back 200? Didn't he go out and lead your army? Isn't he the most mighty man of God that we've got in the whole land? And Saul's just, can't you see him? Just blowing a head gasket. Why? Because he's jealous of David already. Can you imagine you're jealous of somebody and they just talk, people talk about how beautiful and wonderful they are? Stop. And this is Saul's attitude and Saul's heart. The priest defends David's character. And you know what? The truth is that David really, or King Saul really had nothing he could say against him. Verse 15. Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. He says, I didn't know that you and David were having a problem. How could I possibly know? David is such a godly man. David is being used so mightily, my Lord. He's your son-in-law. He was your armor bearer. He played music before you. How could I have possibly known that you were having a problem with David? David was God's man. It was confirmed through his actions. And you know what? This was an opportunity right here for Saul to repent. He could have said, you know what? You're right. You know what? You're right. David is a godly man. David is serving the Lord. But sadly, Saul's actions are going, to ref- are going to show just how depraved he's become. This is one of the most heinous acts in Scripture by a king. Look what he does. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Now why? Because he said good things about David. He spoke the truth. He did it in love. And now he wants to kill him. Verse 17. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priest of the Lord, because their hand is also with David. And because they knew when he fled, and they did not tell me, but the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priest of the Lord. Praise God for these guys. You know, we are to obey the laws of the land until the laws of the land tell us to disobey God. Amen? So when the laws of the land say you can't read your Bible or you can't, you can't share your faith or you can't, we do it anyway. Amen? Why? Because we honor God above men. But, you know, we don't speed because that's the, that's the, well, we shouldn't. That's the speed limit. You know, we shouldn't break the law. We should honor God. But at the same time, when the law of man tries to overrule the word of God, we don't obey that. And so the king turns and says to his guys, kill the priest. They go, oh, no way. Dude, I... Those are God's priests. I'm not killing them for you. That, that's what's not happening. And we're no, that's what I'm not going to do, right? And praise God for these guys. But in the midst of all of this, there's somebody who's willing. Look what it says, verse 18. And the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priest. So Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also, Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. 
Why were they killed? They were being faithful to God. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Guys, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The worst thing the world can do to us is the best thing that could happen to us. Amen? Amen. And so we need to obey God rather than man. And even if it means I lose my life, that's okay. Because you can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? So praise God and serve God. And these guys were being obedient to the Lord. And because they were obedient to the Lord, they were struck down. Now, I want to also say this, though. Isn't it interesting that all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, there was a promise made to Eli because of his sons. Hophni and Phinehas were getting drunk, stealing from people that came to make sacrifice, and were sleeping with women in the tabernacle. And God said, "Uh, Eli, because you have not taken care of your sons, I'm going to cut off your family from the face of the earth. You know what this is? The fulfillment of that. Now, even though Doag is doing wrong, even though the people that were killed, you know, they didn't do anything wrong, ultimately, this is still the consequence of Eli's sin, but more, it's the consequence of Saul's sin. But also, how do you think David's going to feel when he hears about this? And he should, shouldn't he? Because David lied. And because David lied, these people died. And you know what? Sometimes we look at our sin and we think it's a little sin and it's no big deal. Guys, every one of your sins is a big deal. Because Jesus had to die for every single one of them. And so it's not a little white lie. Said on Sunday, a half truth is a whole lie. Amen? And so David told a lie and because of it, people ended up dying. Doag is on a killing rampage and David's lie had incredible consequences. And again, when you spin or shade the truth or twist it, It impacts those around you. So, deep in faith through difficulty, coming to a place of desperation, finding shelter in the Lord. Number two, experiencing the depths of sin's consequences. Again, it will bring us to the end of ourselves and make us look up. Last four verses. Verse 20. Now, one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub named Abiatar, escaped and fled after David. Now, I find this interesting. Everybody in your family dies because David told a lie and then you run to David. I think I'd run to anybody but him maybe, right? But you know what? God had a plan for Abiatar and David. Because Abiatar would become the high priest and David would become king. And so in the midst of all of this, God still had a divine plan and there was nothing the enemy could do to stop it. We're indestructible until God's through with us. And he brought these two men together and they would be used mightily by God. Verse 21. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doag the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Do we see the difference between David and Saul when confronted with sin? David confesses. People say, why is David a man after God's own heart? David's a man after God's own heart because David, when confronted with sin, confesses. He repents. He gets right with God. You've heard me say it a hundred times, so 101 won't hurt you. I believe spiritual maturity can be measured in the amount of time from when we sin to till we repent. And the closer we get to the Lord, the shorter that time becomes. Amen? It might have been months to weeks to days to hours to minutes to seconds. Amen? And when you're walking with the Lord, you sin and you're grieved immediately and you repent. Lord, get me right with you. Saul accused, David confessed. That's the difference. Saul came 
accusing the, the priests, and David came confessing to the priest and telling him that he had indeed done wrong. Saul seeks to eliminate any source of conviction and accountability. Look what it says, last verse. Stay with me, David speaking to Abiathar. Do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. David could do nothing about those who'd been murdered, but he confessed his guilt. He sought forgiveness. He ministers to the need of the the surviving priest. And you know what? It was more than that. He, He said, we're on the same side, and I want you to stay here with me. And you know what? He became a prophet and a high priest to David from that day forward. He became a source of accountability and fellowship. And so too, when we are discontented and indebted and discouraged, we too need to stay near our captain, the Lord. When we're going through that difficulty, we need to be in a place of fellowship where we can be convicted of sin and where we can have a place of being joined to our Savior. We need to walk with Him and draw near to Him. When He was in Gath, He was a crazy man, and now He turns to the Lord as His source of joy and peace and strength, and He responds to the conviction of the Holy Spirit with confession. Confession, excuse me. So, in closing, deepen faith through difficulty. When we go through difficulties, it brings us to a place of desperation where we look up and we trust in God, not in ourselves. Number two, we experience the depths of sin's consequences. When we go through difficulty, when we've rebelled against God, God allows us to see the consequences of our sin that we might grow. And thirdly, we respond to the conviction to conviction with confession. Here's how our faith is deepened through difficulty. We're brought to the end of ourselves. We must look up. And when we confess to the Lord, He restores us to a right relationship with Him. Can I encourage you guys? May we not be like King Saul. May we not know about God, but be not... But but have no relationship with Him. May we be like David that when we make a mistake, when we blow it, when we sin, when we rebel, that we don't run from God, but we run back to Him. The Lord wants nothing more from us than that we would just come on home. I love you. You're my child. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's get our lives right with Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You that You do not hide the frailties of Your heroes in the Word. That in David's life, we saw him a madman last week, but a repentant man this week. And what a great example for all of us. There's times that we go through or in rebellion, but we thank you, Lord, that we can turn back to you. And you're always willing and you're always able to forgive us. Lord, I pray for each person who's here tonight, anybody going through a tough time, anybody who might be in a cave right now, Lord, going through difficulty, they would know, Lord, that you're with them. And Lord, you're going to use this for your glory. Then we'll just let you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.